You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I tell you what, I not only enjoyed our worship and just enjoyed the fellowship that I was experiencing with the Lord, but I also enjoy uh, the time when we just seem to have that music and a time just to prepare our hearts for what God may be doing today. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching a, a two-part sermon, Is It Okay to Stay Gay? And uh, in this sex and intimacy, intimacy series, I'm dealing with this thing of homosexuality, which seems to be a really big issue in our day, and a lot of people are asking a lot of questions. This past week, I had two questions that I wanted you to maybe listen to, okay? And before I do that, let me, let me just pray real quickly. Our Heavenly Father, we just pray, dear Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit would continue to be in this place. We ask you, dear Lord, as we said a moment ago, to wrap your arms around us. And Lord, we've already felt your loving arms around us. Dear Lord, we thank you for this worship. And we pray, dear Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit would give clear direction now. And you'd guide everything that is said by this who speaks. And dear Lord, by the hearts that listen and the ears that hear. And Lord, we'll give you the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. There have been two questions this week that have been posed. And one of them was this. What, it, what happens if I keep... Well, let me read it to you exactly the way it was kind of put to me. What if you keep getting caught up in the same sin, the same mistake, is that lifestyle? Because you remember we said last week that one of the things that we can't say, we can't say that, well, I've got this particular sin or this stronghold in my life and kind of give into it, and it just become a lifestyle. In other words, listen very closely. A child of God, a believer in Jesus Christ, cannot systematically, habitually, publicly, openly live in direct violation to the Word of God. Okay? Does that make sense? You understand that? All God's people said... Amen. Okay, that means that's a response to the truth. So when I talk about any sin in your life or my life becoming a lifestyle, what I'm saying is is that we have come to the point that that sin is now openly lived out publicly, flagrantly, in your face and in the face of God. It's lived out in the public domain with no guilt, no remorse, no conviction, and no repentance. If that is the case, then that person needs to determine whether they're really saved or not. Okay? So, um, once we see the authority of Scripture, and we'll look at that for a moment, once we see that the, that the Scripture speaks against something in, in your life or in my life, that is known to be sin, in other words, the Bible simply defines this behavior as sin, to continue to do that, okay, is, is a strong statement as to the condition of the heart. Now, let me say this, and I said this last week. There's three things that will happen when you and I sin. First of all, there'll be war in the heart. You remember? If you and I do something wrong, first of all, what's, what we're going to experience is there's going to be conviction. Because the, Bible, because the Bible says that this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the church. So if I try to bring sin in here into this heart, then there's going to be war in the heart. Paul talked about that in Galatians chapter 5. Okay, so, so that's number one. 
Number two, and you remember we said this. You know, I, I was telling you about last, uh, last week about Amy. She had hit her head on the, on the floor. She'd get mad when she was little, bang her head on the floor, and she walked around with a bruise. Finally, she got smart. She realized, hey, this hurts. I need to quit doing this. In fact, Sheila was laughing after the message. She said, if you remember, Amy was really smart. She would go over to the couch and do that. <laughs> like she was really threatening us, you know. So you see a child, a lot of times a child gets mad and they get frustrated with the parent. They'll go over there, you know, they'll bang their head on the floor, bang their head against something. They're trying to get the parent's attention. And the last thing you want to do is give them attention because they're going to keep doing that. Okay? And so they realize this hurts, so I need to quit doing this. When you and I are getting caught up in sin and that sin is becoming a behavior or a habit, or a habit then at that point there's going to be such war in the heart that we can't continue to do it. It hurts too bad. But secondly, let's say we continue to do it. Let's say we continue to try. Then what God begins to do is God begins to bring discipline into our lives. Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, Paul talked about this. If Paul wrote Hebrews, God did. And so we begin to feel the discipline of God. In other words, you and I begin to get caught up in sin. There's war in the heart. So we begin to fight that down. We begin to suppress that. We begin to push that down. And we barrel on. We're going we're to continue. We're trying to make this sin a behavior, a lifestyle, a habit. We've got war going on in the heart. But it seems as if at this point the flesh is winning the battle. So all of a sudden, guess what God does? God's a loving parent. You know what God does? He starts whipping us. He starts spanking us. He disciplines because the Bible says to whom he loves, he disciplines. What he says, he's a loving parent, says, I'm not going to let you live like that. And then finally, the last thing we said was this in 1 John 5, 16 through 18. John talked about the sin unto death. If we continue to live willfully, habitually, and open flagrant sin, finally God says, come on home. Just come on home. I can't let you live like that. Can't let you embarrass me like that. Just come on home. So somebody asked me, well, what if I keep messing up? What if I keep getting caught up in this sin? Let's say whatever it is, okay, whatever it may be, then I want you to know something. There'll be bigger wars in the heart. The war in the heart will just get worse. There'll be worse discipline. God, first of all, he'll just kind of, like a parent, he'll just kind of lightly, lightly pop your bottom, maybe slap your hand, but eventually God will wear your butt out. Okay? In other words, God will begin to bring, he'll begin to bring much more severe discipline in your life because he's trying to turn you. And when all else fails, God just says, come on home. Just come on home. Now, the second question was this. Someone said, the more I try and the closer I get. In other words, I've gotten serious about my relationship with God. I've begun to get into the Word of God. I've begun to get into prayer. I'm coming to church more. I've begun to look at some of these areas of my life. But the, listen to this. The more I try, the closer I get. It seems like I'm so convicted about so much that I feel like I'm going crazy. Do you feel like that? Let me write, listen. Write these three words down. Holiness is painful. I got news for you. Holiness is painful. You see, this word hagias, this word for holy in the Greek, hagiasmos, this word for sanctification, this process of God conforming us into the image of His Son, which is sanctification, sometimes is a painful process. God is in your life and in my life. Listen closely. Trying to remove unholy patterns. 
bad behavior, unchristlike attitudes, practices, strongholds that have been generational. They've been going on for generation after generation. All of a sudden, you come and say, you know what, I'm tired of every generation having this problem, So, and I'm serious about my relationship with Christ, so I'm going to begin to turn or break granddad's bent. My friend, all hell begins to break loose. Your enemy, the devil, does not give up any stronghold in your life without a fight. And some of those strongholds have been going on for generations. And you're the generation that finally says enough is enough. I am not going to pass alcohol, drugs, prostitution, adultery, fornication, or whatever it may be, I'm not going to pass it on to my children. Enough is enough. And you stand boldly in the power of His Holy Spirit against your enemy, the devil, and the devil says, well, we'll see what you're made out of. And he battles like he's never battled before. And sometimes you may say, well, I feel like I'm going crazy. Well, holiness is painful. But you serve a great God. And Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God is going to the depth of your personality and my personality desperately trying to change us so that we look like Jesus. Finally, this person... Another person asked this question. They said, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm going crazy. There's voices in my head. There's a voice in my head. And I said, let me tell you something. There's two voices in your head. One is the voice of the enemy, the devil. And your enemy, your enemy, Satan, Diabolos, your enemy, the devil, you know what he does? When you and I do something wrong, when we do something wrong, when we sin, he immediately begins to condemn us. He brings a spirit of condemnation, an oppression into your life. And all of a sudden, you know what the devil says? The devil says, you're no good. You're no good. The devil even kind of laughs. He's the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies. Listen, so what he does, he begins to say to you, you're no good. If you were, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't do that. You must not be saved. You must not be a Christian. Man, there's something wrong with you. I can't believe you serve in that capacity or you do that or you have that position. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to bow out of everything and you ought to crawl your way out to the car because, and God knows you shouldn't go to church. What are you opening your Bible for? I can't believe you're opening your Bible after you had that thought a moment ago. You're going to pray, you hypocrite. You're probably lost and on your way to hell. You've got everybody fooled, but you ain't got me fooled. That's your enemy, the devil. And let me tell you what the difference is. And I'm going to tell you how you can tell what voice is what. The voice of the enemy will always be condemnation. The voice of the Holy Spirit will be, always be conviction. Now let me tell you how you can tell the two. Man's flipping the channels. Flipping the channels. All of a sudden there's a scene on TV... And immediately every fleshly desire in him wells up in him. And men, you know what I'm talking about. In that moment, you stay on that channel a moment too long. And a man's mind is like a photograph. It's taking a picture. Then the Holy Spirit is waging a war in the heart. The Holy Spirit says, you shouldn't have done that. You know you shouldn't have done that. You, should, you know that. You know you stayed on that channel too long. The Holy Spirit, listen to this, 
will always convict. It will always be specific. In other words, it will name the exact sin and it'll tell you, and the Holy Spirit will tell you exactly what to do. If we will confess our sin, what does that mean? We say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you're right. I was wrong. God, I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me. Honey, would you come here and tell me how I can remove this channel from our remote? You see the difference there? So for those people, I want to remind you, there's a, there's a voice of condemnation, there's a voice of conviction. Now let's move on. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at sex and intimacy, and last week we looked at this thing of homosexuality. And, and we said this, that when God creates us, that God gives us passion, He gives us appetites, He gives us a desire. We have a passion, a desire, an appetite to eat. Okay, and as, we, and as we meet that passion, as we meet that desire, as we take care of that appetite, we have pleasure. That's to ensure that we do that. Because see, if I didn't enjoy eating, then I might not eat, which means I would die. So there's, there's passion, there's pleasure, but then God puts perimeters up. God says to you and I, He says, now listen, you've got to do this, but you've got to do this within the perimeters in the boundaries of my word or the law. Now, your enemy begins to come out here where these perimeters, and let's say there's a square right here, where let's say there's a square. Let's, rep, let's say the pulpit represents somebody, maybe you or I, and let's say there's perimeters. This pulpit is in boundaries. The, the enemy, your enemy, the devil, your enemy, Satan, is trying to entice you outside of the perimeters of God's word and God's law. He wants you to live out here somewhere. In other words, let's take sex. Sex is perfectly good. It's great within the boundaries, within the perimeters of God's law. God says this. He says within marriage, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman in marriage. Man, listen, it's the greatest thing in the world. It's a great blessing. It's a gift from God. But your enemy says, hey, wait a minute. What about premarital sex? What about extramarital sex? What about adultery? What about living together? Your enemy's, your enemy's trying to entice you as far as he can get you away from God's law, God's principle, and ultimately what brings you happiness. So here we have the enemy. Now the Bible defines homosexuality very clearly. In fact, let's go back and look at it again. Take a left. Go over to all the way back there to Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, I don't think the Bible could be any clearer. Listen to this. If I didn't read another verse, this is enough. In Leviticus 18, 22, here's the authority of God's Word. Now, someone said to me a moment ago, they said, well, wait a minute, it talks about men, but what about women? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. In Leviticus 18, 22, it says this, Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Now, in chapter 20, verse 13, you just flip the page there. Again, here's Levitical law. Here's Moses guiding the covenant people, the people of Israel, the Old Testament church. In, in, in Leviticus 20, verse 13, if a man lies with a man as one man, if a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman, both of them had done what is detestable. Now, I don't think the Bible could be any clearer. Well, let's go on over to the New Testament and look at, look at Romans chapter 1. Because in Romans chapter 1, Paul again, Paul deals with this. And what Paul does is Paul uses this as an example of what can happen to a man once he rejects the word of God and the perimeters of God's law. He begins to live his life way out here. Now watch what Paul says in verse 26. 
He says, because of this. Well, because of what? Because these people suppress the truth. They say, God, I don't care what your word has to say. It has no authority over my life. I'm my own authority, and I can live the way I want to live. So guess what God does? Look at verse 26, Romans chapter 1. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural affection or relations for unnatural ones. There's your women. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women, were inflamed with lust for one another, men to men. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. So ultimately what God says is, is and, and, he, and here Paul is using the example of, of sex. And what Paul is saying is that once you and I move outside of the perimeters of God's law, and God's law is very clear, Jesus in Matthew 19 said this, marriage one man, one woman for life. Let me let that sink in for a, man, for a moment. One man, one woman for life. And that's not being preached much anymore. So your enemy, guess what your enemy does? Your enemy says, hey, God's an old fuddy-duddy. Listen, God doesn't want you to have, He doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to be kin. Hey, it's a lot more fun out here. Well, let me ask you something. How far do you think the enemy wants to get you from there? He will get you as far away as he possibly can. Let me tell you this much. He'll get you out here. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embarrass you. He'll get you out here with child molestation, child pornography. He'll get you bestiality. Man, listen, he'll get you all out here because, listen, once you and I move outside of the perimeters, there's no telling how far we may go. And that's the way your enemy works. Now, some people say, well, in the case of homosexuality, this is a genetic thing. This is just the way people are wired. You remember what I told you last week, living for years in Zimbabwe. Do you know how many homosexuals, gays and lesbians I saw? None. In fact, most would say that this is a social problem. One man made this statement, Unger, and he's a, he's a, I just, he's a powerful figure to me. And when I was doing my doctoral work, I read some of his stuff on sexuality. He made this statement. He said, we dare not forget to mention here also. Now, parents, I want you to listen. Parents, put your... Buckle your pew belts, put your spiritual antennas up. He made this statement, he said, We dare not forget to mention here also that homosexuals do seek to lure young recruits into their lifestyle. He said, Studies have shown that where homosexuality is lauded, that means it is approved of, it will be more prevalent. Now let me give you an example. Socialist J.T. Landis from the University of Berkeley interviewed 1,800 students. Out of those 1,800 students, 500 had been approached by homosexuals. Two-thirds of these, these, this 500, it had occurred before the age of 16. In another study, 25% of homosexuals were involved with boys for 15 years of age and younger. 25% of homosexuals had involvement with boys 15 years of age and younger. Unger goes on to make this statement. He concluded this. Listen to this. And every Christian listened to this. He said, our society is engaged in a fierce battle to redefine its moral boundaries. 
In other words, God's law says this, one man, one woman for life. But society says we don't want it that way, so what society does, and there begins to be that pressure to expand the perimeters, just simply to pick the perimeters up and move them, stretch them all out here. This is what our enemy does. So our society is engaged in a fierce battle to redefine its moral boundaries. In other words, to move God's perimeters. Now listen to what he says. We must fight to retain biblical standards of absolutes. If we don't, there is no telling if or when our downward moral spiral will be stopped. Sin is a slippery slope. And once you move outside God's perimeters, your enemy will take you farther He'll keep you longer, and it'll cost you more. He went on to make this statement, and you're not gonna, some people are not going to like this, and it may cause us problems on the website. He went on to say this. Parents, are you listening? Nod your head. He said, there is already an organization comprised mostly of homosexuals called Pedophile Information Exchange. They call it PI. Their agenda fighting for the legitimizing, the legitimizing of their sexual orientation. He illustrates, Christians have failed to fight for biblical values related to divorce, premarital and extramarital sex, and abortion in the recent past. And he said, we're in an epidemic. Let me tell you what happens. Your enemy says, you don't have to stay in those perimeters. Let's move those perimeters out. Let's move them out. Let's move them out. People, homosexuals say, well, wait a minute now. I can live the way I want to. Then you've got, you, you, you begin to see other things begin to come into play. Every one of these are an epidemic. I mean, I sat there as I read this quote and I thought to myself, divorce, extramarital, premarital sex, abortion, homosexuality, all of these are an epidemic in our society and there's few sermons preached against them. I saw Chip Henderson one day in Corner Bakery. And he and I got in a conversation. I thanked him for a series that he did last year on sex. And he, the most difficult message that he had the greatest problem with and the greatest response from, and people did not like it, was when he addressed from a biblical viewpoint God's understanding and God's view of homosexuality. And this is the day that we're living in. Now you say, Brother Jeff, do you hate these people? Absolutely not. I love them. I love them just like I love anybody else that is a sinner. But my friend, they still need to repent. Now, how does homosexuality happen? What happens? Paul said in Romans, one moment ago, and we read that. Paul said that in Romans that man will move from what is natural and normal to something that is unnatural and abnormal. In other words, God knows this about us. God says, listen, as long as you stay within the boundaries of my law, as long as you stay within these perimeters, then everything's going to be be right. But once you move outside of this, there's just no telling how far you can become perverted, twisted. Paul said they move from natural and normal to unnatural and abnormal. Let me give you an example right now. I was listening to the news yesterday and Sheila, we just turned and looked at each other and we said, are you serious? They were warning kids who were smoking or I don't know what they were doing with bath salts. 
I mean, we're constantly looking for something to sniff, snort, put in our veins. Man, listen, there's no limit to it. And I can tell you how it started. One beer. You see, what Paul is saying is, how does homosexuality start? But Paul said, listen, we just move outside the boundaries. Again, I said it last week. I could stuff food up my nose and eventually get some dietary substance out of it. But it would be painful in the process because it is unnatural and it's abnormal and you would think I was crazy. Now let me say this before I move any farther. There are godly Christian parents whose children have gotten caught up in homosexuality. And I want you to know something. They did everything that they possibly could. They raised their children, but they got caught up in a lifestyle that was promoted by our society, by their peers, and by the general acceptance in our day. But for those parents, especially young children, I want you to listen very, very closely right now. Because how does this happen? Number one, you heard me say it a moment ago, social pressure. Today's children growing up, listen, are feeling the pressure. And the only obstacle that stands against abortion, premarital, extramarital sex, homosexuality, uh, uh, against some of the things that are becoming just a part of our society is the church. And the church is strangely silent, but there's social pressure. In other words, the stronger society pushes to embrace something like homosexuality, whether it be Hollywood, whether it be the music industry, whether it be government sanctioned, or whether it be a liberal church that is just bowing under the pressure of social change, whether it be the educational system, whether it be peers, the greater the pressure the more difficult it will be for you parents to raise your children in a way that would honor Christ and the Word of God. Now, secondly, it's the family. Now, what I'm going to say, if you, if you have this problem in your home, please hear me. This is not 100%, but Dr. Erwin Bieber, Dr. Erwin Bieber, he's a psychiatrist. Now, listen to this. A psychiatrist that is recognized as one of America's leading authorities on homosexuality. Parents, listen to what he said. He said that homosexuals are made that way largely by their parents. Wow. Unger, the one I've quoted earlier, said homosexual tendencies almost certainly are the consequence of defective parenting. Not 100%. David Busby Another individual lists nine defective family patterns that can cause homosexuality and lesbian tendencies. Listen to them. Number one, the absence of intimacy between mother and father. Number one, the absence of intimacy between mother and father. Number two, a father who is absent through death, divorce, or coupled with a mother who's too present. Okay, now hang with me here. Number three, a punitive father. In other words, this is, not a, this, is a, this is a father who tends to be harsh, who tends to be the stern disciplinarian, but that only. Number four, a passive father and a domineering mother who is, eitherly, who is either overly protective or too permissive. Five, a lo, aloof, are you hearing this, dads? An aloof father and a mother who is too close 
and over-involved in the life of her child. You listening, Dad? Say amen. Number six, a vulgar father. That means a foul-mouthed, dirty-mouthed, dirty-minded father and a prudish mother to whom sex appears reprehensible. Number seven, both parents are absent before the age of 12. Number eight, an idolized mother and a blockage in the child's ability to identify with the father. Number nine, an idolized father resulting in a hostile dependency relationship with the father. It was amazing to me, no matter the research that you did, dad, over and over and over again, it came back to an aloof, an indifferent, an apathetic, or whatever it was, dad. One writer said there are different configurations of a situation where, listen to this, a mother's influence demasculinized the son, stripped the father of masculine qualities, and or the father made an identification with himself impossible. In other words, mom, if you're the boss, you better get ready because you're going to have problems if you're raising a boy. And we're living in a culture, we're living in a society today that masculinity almost seems to have been declared war against. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants to hear it. And, and he went on to make this statement. He said, roles are becoming reversed. Husbands are submitting to the authority of their wife and are becoming demasculized and women are becoming more strong and more authoritative. And I can tell you where this is the deepest and deepest. It's in the African-American community where nearly 70% nearly 70 of children born are born illegitimate. You're seeing homosexuality rise and you're seeing young African-American women that are now percentage-wise excelling in the higher academic areas while men are dragging slowly behind because of the failure to have a dad in the home. And that's growing across lines. Finally, what's the last thing? Parents, are you listening? It's perimeters. You see, again, God gives us passion. God gives us pleasure. God gives us perimeters. And God warns us against perversion. And our enemy would love to move us outside those perimeters, outside of those, the, the things that God has instructed us as good and wholesome. He's trying to get us out here anywhere but right here. And sometimes, parents, you and I are the worst at recognizing God's perimeters. Sometimes it's mom and dad that begin slowly to slip out here. It's dad with a magazine up under, the, uh, up under his, uh, up under his uh, mattress or between the mattresses. It's dad who has something stashed away, hidden away in his shop or somewhere. It's dad quietly late at night looking at pornography and thinking that the children don't know anything about it. There is a family who once were members of this church that, listen, we're a core family that have been completely disintegrated. They are no more. Because a teenage son got up one night, late at night, and called his dad looking at pornography. Looked over the shoulder of his dad, saw his dad looking at pornography, went back to his bedroom, turned off to mom and dad, turned off to the family, turned off to the church, and he's been turned off ever since. Be careful, dad, what you're hiding. And I can tell you one thing, God's looking over your shoulder. Dad, if you're playing outside the perimeters of God's law, 
then there is a real possibility that you are going to be the one the enemy will use to entice your children out of those perimeters. The second thing is this. A lot of times a parent says, well, I can wander outside the perimeters because, because uh, secondly, I can control it. You'd be surprised how many people think, I can look at a little porn. It helps me in my relationship with my spouse. So what's wrong with it? Listen, that's what the enemy does. The enemy gets you out here. The enemy says, listen, me and your wife's not enough. Come out here. It's a lot more fun. Flirt around in the office. Look at a little porn. Stash a magazine under the mattress. Put something out there in the shop. Stay up at 1 o'clock in the morning and tap away on the, on the laptop or on your computer. That's the enemy. That's the voice of the enemy. Because, he's, because you think this, I can control my wondering. No, you cannot. You're the frontline men. You're the frontline of defense in that family, in that home, in that marriage, and with those children. Years ago, as I'll never forget this illustration, close-knit community, tragic car accident, and a 16-year-old girl was killed. Her body's still there in the highway. Dad got the call and went running with his wife, and they went running to this scene, and, and the daughter was dead and, and just, just absolutely devastated and broken, and the, Dad was looking and just crying out and he looked at that crowd of young people and he said, which one of you gave her that alcohol? Because she reeked of alcohol. Who gave it to her? Who gave it to her? He was just a madman and finally the police took him and literally put him in a patrol car and carried him off. Later on they released him. That night his heart was broken. His wife literally upstairs weeping and just mourning. And that old dad, that 16 year old, she... He just went in there and he, he bent down and his old just 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 heart just crushing and he opened that cabinet up under that cabinet was reaching in there for a bottle of vodka to make him a drink. Leaning in that cabinet was a letter. He reached in, took that letter. He thought, that's strange. And then he looked at the handwriting and said, Dad. He opened that envelope, he looked in that envelope, pulled it out, it was his daughter's writing. She said, Dad, she said, I knew you wouldn't mind. It's my 16th birthday. We're going to go out, and I knew this one time you wouldn't mind if I took a bottle out of the cabinet. Dad, I hope it's all right. That man fell to his knees. He began to weep and cry, and he realized that he was the one. Parent, hear me. Mom, Dad, listen to me. You cannot toy and play out here, outside the perimeters of God's law and outside of his word and not feel the pain of it. And I'm not just talking, you know, some of you may amen me, but I tell you what, you're killing your children with their diet. Shame on you. You shovel stuff into their mouths that are going to ultimately cause cardiovascular problems, going to cause them great heartache and great loss of life and will end their life early because you are undisciplined in the area of their diet. You are too lazy sometimes to fix a good meal. Shame on you. And I can tell you what, there's a food industry out there that is just as evil and just as demonic, in my opinion, as the alcohol and the drug industry. You want a motto, Mom, for your home? Hebrews 1.9. You know what it says? Jesus loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. Lipstick that on the mirror. And watch and see what happens. There's one thing. Let me tell you a rule in our home. And I asked one of my kids, because I wanted to make sure of this. 
Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9 says this, He loved righteousness, He hated wickedness. You know what that means? That means that you and I, even as parents, anybody in the house has the right to approach anybody else in the house with Hebrews 1.9. Your children ought to have the right to come to you and say that that behavior is inappropriate. And according to the scripture, that's not right. And you shouldn't do that. You may say, well, you know, that's a lot of authority to give to a child. That's right. You know, I've told my kids a lot of times I'm not perfect. But I want you to know something. You can approach me and you can approach your mom if you think that there's something that we are doing that is not appropriate or not Christ-like or goes against the Word of God. I asked one of my kids yesterday, was that a truth? She said, you better believe it. I always felt like I could do that and still feel it to this day. Now let me close real quickly. Because a lot of times as parents we think, well, what do we do? Sheila was teaching three-year-old little boys and girls and she had a little boy years ago when she was teaching three-year-olds that he, he, he wanted to wear dresses, he wanted to play with dolls, he just wanted to do all of those things. Sheila began to teach him and to work with him and train him. And boy, this will get me trouble. This will get me in trouble on the website. She began to teach him and to train him and talk to him. And by the end of the year, she had turned that little boy into any other little boy in that class. If you're a single mom, you say, well, my job's really tough. Mom, let me tell you something. Don't smother mother. Did you hear that? Mother, don't smother. Don't be overprotective. Boys are going to, listen, listen, by the grace of God, we got our boys grown. A lot of times they'd be doing something, she'd go, oh, 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 oh. She'd go running out there, say, leave them alone, they'll be all right, they die, that's, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, sometimes it's just that way. Listen, single mom, put them in the company of godly men in this congregation. Men, there needs to be a rite of passage. There are times in the life of a little boy that he needs time with men. And that means without sisters. There were times I took those boys. Listen, I love my girls, and my girls are close to me. In fact, I tell you what, they'll fight for me quicker than my boys. <clears throat> but there were times when me and them boys would take off, and we'd do things. It would be just the guys. It is a guy thing. Guys need that. Boys need that. They need that. We're a society today in America. We're probably the only culture in the world today that does not have a rite of passage when it comes to boys. Learning how to be boys. And let me say this, society seems to have declared war, as I said a moment ago, on men and on dads. Dad seems to be some bumbling buffoon that is stupid in the joke of everybody else. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Listen very closely. The TV is a voice of authority in your home, parent, unless you speak against it. And when you see one of these 30-minute sitcoms that make dad or a man look like a buffoon and an idiot, you either need to cut it off or you need to speak against it. Finally, parents, you need to be involved in every area of their life. Daycare is not a place where you drop them off and pick them up and never walk in. I tell you what, you need to see who's taking care of your kids. You need to be involved in their life, and you need to send a very clear message. I am very much concerned in how my child is treated and what goes on in this place. 
And that goes for sports too. There's been many a coach that's been sorry and no good and done things inappropriately to little boys and girls. Not always, but there have been those occasions. You don't drop them off at the ball field and go back and pick them up because it's a babysitter. And that's the same for school. You need to know every one of their teachers. You need to go look at them eyeball to eyeball, talk to them, find out who they are. You want to be supportive of those teachers, but you also want them to know something. I'm very concerned about my child and what goes on in this classroom. You need to know who their friends are. Homosexuality is a learned behavior that can be unlearned. Now, I'm going to make myself very vulnerable here. How many of you have ever heard me tell the story about nearly drowning? Raise your hand. Anybody? Most of you heard the story about me when I nearly drowned when I was in second grade. Let me tell you something. That little boy's name was Tommy. Let me tell you something else Tommy did. One day Tommy was down at his house. He came from a dysfunctional, broken home, messed up house. Tommy had me down there one day and Tommy took all of his clothes off, second grader. And he said, hey, take all your clothes off. And I got to thinking, man, this don't sound right. Something's not right here. But i I, I be honest with you, in, in me... I didn't understand about sexuality. I didn't know these things. I was a little second grade, a little seven-year-old kid. I didn't understand this. And I can remember all to this day the emotions that were going on inside of me. Makes up a little seven-year-old boy who was being introduced for the first time to what I believe was homosexuality. Well, ultimately, I, I left. I ran. I got home. Let me tell you, parent, what changed all of that. Let me tell you, I, that kid nearly got me, that kid nearly drowned, I nearly drowned because of that little boy. And I believe if I'd have hung around that little boy, I'd have been in a lifestyle that I didn't understand. I was a seven-year-old kid. Let me tell you what happened. Sitting at the supper table, probably that night, I, I let go a four-letter word that I would never say. And my dad looked at me and he said, where did you hear that? I said, Tommy, my dad, my dad had these big old hands. He leaned across the table and he said, don't you ever say that word again. I didn't even know what it was. A few minutes later, you want to guess what happened? My little sister, somebody messed with me and I let that word go again second time. My dad said, son, come on. Carried me back there and wore my butt out. And then he looked and he sat down. My dad did that, always did this, sat down on the side of the bed next to me. He said, son, your days of playing with Tommy are over. Some in this room, the danger is, is that you have your children in the company of people they don't need to be in the company with. Some of you in this room, the truth of the matter is, Mom, you run the house and Dad does it. Dad is a silent figure just floating around while you're making all the decisions, calling all the shots. And you're bringing confusion into the life of your children. Some of you men are are happy to let her. You're happy to let her because you don't want the responsibility, shame on you, and you're still responsible before God. Now, with all that said, let me say this. I've discovered that most people are not listening, even you. You know, the Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you know what all the prophets said, minor prophets, all 12 of them, Daniel to Malachi? You know what they all said? God, there ain't nobody listening. 
Last night I went to sleep and I just had an unbelievable dream. It, like, it was like a full-length picture. And Anthony, in this dream, I dreamed that America was under attack. And I was with Sheila. I don't know where I was, but we were in a city. And I looked at Sheila and I said, Sheila, I said, I've got to go do what I can do. In other words, I've got to go and fight. I've got to do something. And I looked at her and a nurse came up, a group of nurses, and I said, would you take Sheila? And we hugged and I kissed her. And then I began to walk down through the streets of a major city as it was under attack and I was preaching the gospel. And then I woke up. Last Sunday, I left out of the here and I thought to myself, I felt so heavy as I preached that message, that first message on homosexuality. I, I was thinking about that, going to the hospital, making a visit. I was on my way home, heard the exact same message from Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley was saying, warning America that America had better repent because her days are numbered. And I'm telling you, just because society, Hollywood, and the music industry says something is all right, my friend, you better go to the Word of God as your final authority. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I don't even know how to go to an invitation from a sermon like this. And I don't know, dear Lord, what you may be saying to the men and women in this room, moms and dads and young people. And I know, dear Lord, of the things that have been preached in this message today are not popular. Many pulpits are silent. But dear Lord, like premarital and extramarital sex, just like homosexuality, just like abortion, just like drugs and alcohol and all the things that are holding our society, this nation in bondage, dear Lord, we need pulpits again to flame with righteousness. We need men and women that will stand boldly and say, you know, the Bible says this, regardless of what it may cost us. And dear Lord, there are people in this room today, right now, that they're toying outside the perimeters of your law. They're living lives and doing things that, dear Lord, may be very costly in the end. Because sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Lord, I thought a moment ago when I prayed at this altar, I thought I don't blame the enemy. I'd attack this church with everything I had in me. Because, dear Lord, I know the enemy doesn't want sermons like this and voices like this and churches to be standing on the Word of God. Lord, I know today that the enemy's attacking marriages. He's attacking families. He's attacking churches that are trying to take a stand, a bold stand. And he'll continue to do it. And dear Lord, may some families in this room and some of us in this room be reminded of the demon's words when they said to the sons of Sceva there in Acts. They said, Jesus we know. Paul we know. But who are you? Lord, may we have the kind of reputation that dear Lord rings all down through the corridors of hell. May we as men and women, may the men in this room be men. Young men, be men. Put aside, dear Lord, uh, this feminine attitude that seems to be so prevalent today in Hollywood and music. And men, step up and be men. Standing boldly, unapologetically, 
being the kind of men that God created in His image. May, dear Lord, women step back sometime and allow that man to be that leader, that authority, that voice in the home. May she find herself hugging to the side of him, standing alongside of him, supporting him and encouraging him. Father, may men be spiritual leaders and pastors in their homes. And dear Lord, where moms are raising boys by themselves, may you raise up godly men that will say to some of these boys, come, let's go, let's go fishing. May dear Lord, we as Christian men give the right kind of example to them. Lord, my heart goes out to single moms and pray for them. But Lord, may we understand that we can do none of those things until we've given you our heart, given you our lives. And so I pray today, dear Lord, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or girl, that has never surrendered their life to you, they've never said, Christ, come into my heart. There may be people in this room that they reflect more the raising of their parents than they do the resurrection. True, these traits these parenting traits may be true. True, we may have grown up in that kind of home, but we don't have to be that way. We can reflect the resurrection, not our raising. So God, I pray if there's a man or woman, boy or girl, who's never given their heart to you, may they do that today, right now, in this moment. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. And right now in this moment, be my Lord and my Savior. I thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your mercy. Now, Lord, conform me to your image. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.